Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I was sitting in my room on my bed, and I'm looking out into the woods. Where my house is, there's technically two other houses uh, near us. But people don't live there year-round. We're the only people in our entire neighborhood that live there year-round. And I see this orb start to come out from the forest. It's maybe the size of a soccer ball or a basketball, but it's glowing and it has this core opalescent light to it. It's all the colors you think of if you think of a pearl, like purple, silver, pink, white, And it's floating out of the woods like a fish, is how I describe it. Like, just kind of floating very easily, sliding between the trees. And it has kind of a tail off of it, as if like a fireball or something like that. But I remember so clearly the odd thing about it was that it glowed without giving off light. When it would pass by trees, the tree trunks wouldn't become illuminated. It was like it was its own contained orb of light. And I remember it just sort of floated up next to the house, then just floated back into the woods. Nothing else seemed to really happen. And the the next day, same exact thing happened. I don't know what that was. And I don't, you know... It's not like it was tied to any sort of ritual I was doing. There was no crisis happening in my life at the time. There, was, I, I, there wasn't a holiday or anything. That's why it's so difficult for me to remember, because it's not like this happened on Christmas Eve or something like that. It, it just happened. And it, it has made me think a lot over the years about how sometimes really things, that, things can happen that are really special and really unique. And yet it's hard to find meaning in them. It's not an obvious, uh, you know, I saw a burning bush and then I wrote this text of the Bible or, you know, I, I saw this thing and then I, I, you know, I went off to, you know, write the book of the law. Like it's sometimes things just happen. The world is just weird. And it, it has stuck with me for a long, long time. My relationship to magic has changed a lot since moving to New York. And at first it was a difficult transition because I hadn't yet found my community, but I also was out of my depth or was in a different place magically. A couple of years ago, I was here in New York City at a party and this was at a couple of friends of mine's house and I didn't know anybody there. And I mentioned to one person briefly that I was from Cape Cod and they said, oh, wow, that's that's so interesting. You know, we used to vacation there when I was a kid. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go on maybe an hour later. I'm talking to my friend on the couch and his friend sits down right next to me and he looks me straight in the face and he goes, so what's with the lights in the woods? What's with the lights in the forest? And I go, 
what? Because I haven't told this story to many people. He goes, what's with the lights in the woods? I'm having a lost highway moment where I'm like, who is this person that just walked up to me and is talking about this? I start to feel like the fabric of reality is like slipping away. And my friend takes my hand. He's like, it's okay. You're here. You're here. And I'm like, what? How do you know about the lights in the woods? And he said, I used to see them all the time when I vacationed there on the Cape. He's like, that's a thing on the Cape. You see these lights in the woods. Never in my life, not I have known, I mean, like, obviously I grew up there. Nobody that I knew at school had seen something like this. Nobody, I didn't know anybody else who had seen this. And this random person walks up to me. What's with the lights in the woods? That scared the hell out of me. I'm Jim Perry. This is Euphemet a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. This time, a girl shares her tales from her hometown, and it shares with her what it taught will never go away. When things vanish, they're not always gone. Sometimes, they're just waiting for you. Next, on the season four debut of Euphemia. Even when it's behind you, the place you come from shapes your life. The people you knew, the forest next door, the strange feeling you get when walking by that one dark abandoned house. The vibes, the sounds of the ocean, the touch of the mist, and its taste. But where does that all go when you go away? It's as if it vanishes. The little kid in the little town that smells like salt. But really, what if we found out it never disappeared at all? And that, in fact, it followed you. To see it, all you have to do is turn around. Sarah Lyons is a witch, a writer, an occultist who finds herself somewhere in New York City describing where she grew up on Cape Cod, near the wrist, if it were considered an arm, jutting into the Atlantic, as if some angry Greek god. According to Sarah, the Cape is everything you think it is, but nothing like that at all. I think when a lot of people think of Cape Cod, they think of those places where there are mansions and there are white sandy beaches and there are celebrity sightings, and that that is a thing that exists on the Cape. But there's a whole other side to Cape Cod. Growing up on the Cape, it's it's a very, it's a much weirder and a much darker and a much more wild place than a lot of people give it credit for or maybe think of. It's not the place you think of for unsolved murders and uh, ghosts and possessions and, you know, all these crazy things that happen all the time, but they really do happen out there. And I think that being so close to the wild is one of the big reasons why, and and in such a unique geographical location, is is one reason why that pull is sort of there. Even the tides and the, the motions of the moon, the motions of the water are very important from basically every perspective, right? From an economic perspective, if you're an oyster farmer or if you're a fisherman, those are very important. And growing up, I actually knew a girl who lived on an island in like an inlet in my hometown, and she had to give our teacher a moon chart 
at the beginning of every month so that the teacher knew when she was going to be late to class because when it was a full moon or a new moon, the bridge to her house would flood and she wouldn't be able to make it into class on time. So these things weren't abstract to me. I, you know, it's a very popular thing and I understand it. I think it's a good thing. Uh, it's very popular right now for people to want to get back to nature, for people to want to embrace the seasons, for people to want to, uh, you know, go back to these like pagan holidays or, or witch holidays or, um, you know, celebrations as a way to, you know, reconnect and bring themselves in tune with those things. And I think that that's beautiful. But growing up to me, I had a really unique relationship with those holidays. I had a really unique relationship with magic and with witchcraft and paganism and all of these things I was reading about because they weren't abstract to me. One night, when Sarah was about 18, she and her mom headed out to see some family friends for dinner in Provincetown. It's January, and it's late at night. 11 o'clock at night. I remember that. It was it was almost midnight. And out this far, there's only one highway, Route 6, and you can see for miles in either direction because it's just a flat, straight road. So you can drive for miles and not see another car. I've, I've timed myself, and there's been 20 minutes that have gone by where I haven't seen another person on the highway. We're pulling out onto the highway. She's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. And there's just us. And far down the, the road, there's another car in this, the other lane. And just the, the speed that we're going to go, we're going to overtake this car. So as we're pulling up to the car, we're about to overtake it. And just as we're about to pass it, it revs up and it goes faster down the highway. So this really pissed my mom off and she decides I need to, you know, I, I need to show this person. I, I'm not going to let that stand. So we're again, just the speed that we're going, we're going to overtake this car. And now I'm like actually looking at this car. And I remember that it had this odd kind of purpley. It looked like someone had modified it. So it was, it was sort of like a purpley color. It had like a fin on the back of it. It had, um, you know, weird wheels, that kind of thing. And, and and as I remember, as we were driving up to it, I was trying to see like the make and model of it. And it was just dark enough that I couldn't see the maker model or license plate of it. As we're passing it, I look over into the driver's seat of the car and I don't see anybody behind the driver's seal. I'm like, okay, well, this is a modded car. Maybe they have tinted windows. Maybe they're leaning far back. Maybe it's just too dark. I don't know. My mom's still angry. As soon as she gets past this car, she pulls right in front of it. And this is a very stupid move, right? Like, I'm thinking we're about to have a terrible accident. So as soon as she pulls in front of the car, I look into the rearview mirror, and there's nobody on the highway. as far back as you can see. There's not a single other thing on the highway. And I don't say anything at first, but I'm just looking in the rear view. And after about a minute, my mom goes, well, maybe he just got off at the last exit. And I look at her and I go, there's no more exits on this road, are there? And she says, no, there's not. 
The chill that went down my spine, I remember did not leave me until I went to sleep that night. It was fully hours later. I was still in a a state, just a, a fearful state, an anxious state that I've never felt before or since. It's truly inexplicable. I have driven by that site many times before and since, and every single time I do to this day, I try to think of what could have happened. Like I try to think, could they have pulled off on the side of the road? Is there is there something here? Like, is there a little path off that I don't see? Is there something else going on here? The trees come up to the very edge of the road. You cannot pull off to the side of the road there. And there were no more exits or no more, you know, ramps off of that highway at that point. And I had a second person confirm it before I said anything. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline seeing a car disappear is somehow stranger to me than seeing a woman in white in a window or seeing a man in Victorian garb walking up the stairs. It's somehow stranger to me than something like that because we think of something like a car as being outside of the paranormal. We think of that as modern and new and we we associate, I think even subconsciously, we associate ghosts with the past and with ancient times or the Victorian era or these kind of tropes that even if we we know better, even if we study this stuff, we kind of think of it in that way. And so to just see a car disappear, there's no precedent for that in my mind, right? You know, there's there's nothing, I would have never thought of that as a thing happening. And I, yeah, it kind of changed my life because I believed in ghosts and I believed in spirits and I believed in the paranormal before all of this. But actually witnessing it in such a dramatic way Not even like experiences I had had before where, like even with the lights in the woods, there was a minute there where I thought maybe I just imagined that. like Maybe I just went crazy and I just saw something or, or, you know, if nobody else was there to see it. So it's just this private thing you have to live with. But seeing something like that with another person as a witness, it really, it really confirmed that this stuff is real, that this stuff really happens. And not only that, it, it showed me very viscerally that to accept that the paranormal is real, to accept that there are spirits, to accept that there are ghosts, to accept that matter is different than how we think of it, is to fundamentally change how you see reality itself. I think I was much more unsure of myself back then. This would have been my senior year of high school. I went to a very odd high school. I think um, a lot of people's first rebellion or first memory of like sticking it to their, you know, their peers or their their superiors is um, kind of just becoming an atheist or becoming a Satanist and being like, you know, fuck this. I don't, I, I don't care about these rules that you put up around me. I don't care about this. I went to a secular private school. So 
Everybody in my school was hardcore science person, hardcore materialist, the teachers, the students, everyone there was an atheist. Like, And it was at a time also when new atheism was like the hot thing where everyone was reading Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and that kind of stuff. And I was kind of one of maybe three people that wasn't like that in my high school. And I remember it being feeling so um, that like witchcraft and magic and those types of things were my little rebellion because I was like, no, reality is weirder than that. Like I saw a car disappear. Your science can't explain that. I remember that really being my kind of rebellion, but also something that was very serious to me and, and very deeply felt and something that I think that drive to find a place where my ideas would be accepted and I would be accepted and that I would find other like-minded people who also practice magic, believed in these types of things was a real driving force to me. I even wrote my college essay about it, that, that, that I wanted a magical community and I found one when I came to New York. I, you know, I, I, that was my goal. That was my will. And that's, that's what I went out and I got, and I'm very grateful for that. Back in New York at another party full of her occult friends, Sarah runs into Justin. He was the one that freaked her out about the lights in the forest when they first met. And now they're friends. He says to her, hey, if you're going back out to the Cape this week, I actually have a request for you if you don't mind. I said, sure. And he said, I need oyster shells for this spell that I'm doing. Could you bring me back some oyster shells? And I said, absolutely. My hometown is famous for oysters, so it's very easy to get when you're back there. So I went back home. I got some oyster shells and I wanted to bless them for my friend. I wanted to like really give them that that kick. So I brought them down into the woods at midnight to this crossroads that is not very far from my house. And I am on Datura, which is a slightly hallucinogenic plant. And I'm on these witching herbs and I am, I'm in it. I've been meditating, I've been chanting. I bring these down to the crossroads and I leave an offering. And as I'm going through the steps of this ritual, the wind is picking up and the the breeze is getting stronger and the, the woods are rushing around me and I can feel it reach a fever pitch. And all of a sudden it just slows down to a stop. And that's when I kind of knew, okay, this is, this is set. So I leave it there with like my incense and my offerings and I, I go to leave it overnight. And I turn to walk down the path back home. And I know that there is something behind me. I know not to look back at this crossroads, but I also know that there is a being there. In my head, I know it very clearly. I see this being in a dark robe with these horns and these like glowing eyes just standing there like a shadow behind me. And I see that so clearly in my mind's eye and I go, just keep walking, just keep going. Walk back down the path, walk up to my house. I go inside and as I close the door into my room, I hear this chorus of coyotes start to howl from the exact place that I left the offering. And that's when I knew that I had done it right. And it's again, you know, another moment where I've been doing this my whole life, but every now and then you have a ritual that goes really well. And you're like, oh my God, magic is real. Like I know it's real, but oh my God, magic is real. (laughs) 
Now, it's a thing in witchcraft and in magic in general. If you are to do workings at a crossroads, you turn and you do not look back. Uh, if you look back, it's going to be bad. Like, if I were to turn around, part of me thinks I would have actually have seen that being. And that I'm not supposed to actually see that being. Like, I'm not supposed to see the spirit of the crossroads. I'm not worthy of that or I my my mind couldn't handle that something like in that way but I just the same way that you know when someone is staring at you I knew that there was something there and maybe it would have come up at that moment maybe I would have been harmed in that moment maybe it would have taken a little while you know the thing with magic is that it doesn't always happen uh, it's not always A to B right it's not always I fucked up this ritual and now uh you know, in that moment, the spell jar exploded and all this stuff happened. Sometimes it's, I fucked up that ritual and everything seems to be okay, but then all of a sudden, you know, your car breaks down and then all of a sudden your house gets broken into and then all of a sudden this start, you know, these other things start to happen and you realize like, okay, I stepped in something. I think when you do magic, when you practice the occult, especially when you practice witchcraft, I think you are inviting high strangeness into your life. That's what you're really doing. And you're trying to control the levels of high strangeness in your life. I know people who don't practice magic anymore because they basically went balls to the wall with it, didn't use protection uh, like they should have. And they basically almost went crazy. And they said, I can't, this is not good for my mental health. I can't do this anymore. And that's totally fair. But that's why I think it's very important when you do magic to kind of understand if you're doing it right, it's going to be scary sometimes. This stuff is real. Weird stuff is going to happen. And it's about knowing how much you want to invite that into your life and when to kind of put the boundary up and say, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not going to answer that call. I'm get away from me. I'm not I'm not doing that. And yeah, so I, I think it's it's been interesting to over my life take those initial weird experiences and the initial knowledge that I kind of gained from the place that I grew up in and make it into a practice, make it into something practical, something that can be explored on command rather than waiting for the weird to happen. Although I do, the weird still does happen randomly, but it it's controlled weirdness a little bit more now than it used to be. It makes me very proud of that that little Sarah, actually, who didn't give up on on those weird things because I've made I think I've made quite a good life for myself having followed those, you know, that path, falling down that weird path. I think um, it's given me a lot of confidence. It's given me a lot of insight. And yeah, magic is how I make sense of the world. And I'm really happy that I kept it in my vocabulary as a way to make sense of the world later on and didn't abandon it and am now, you know, maybe lost or trying to get back to it in some way. I'm happy that I stuck with it. I I don't know how else it feels. It feels like a different person, but I, it's like that, that core person did persist. So all the other things have kind of fallen away from me since then. I dress different. I, I look different. I person different, but that, that drive never went away. And I think that that is the thing that has kept me going on this for so long.
Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemet. Thank you to Sarah for being our guest. She's an author of the book Revolutionary Witchcraft, A Guide to Magical Activism. Find the link in the show notes. Thank you to our sponsors, Shudder and Anchor FM, for everything Euphemet, including how you can subscribe to the show. Links to our Patreon and social media. Visit euphemet.com. And for even more, check out Nightdrift, our podcast series discussing Euphemet and hosting panels on topics at the intersection of society and the strange. Nightdrift can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. The original score this edition was by Jonathan McEdward. This has been Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up.